In the name of our coming Advent King, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, text for our meditation this morning comes from Malachi chapter 3. Being an Old Testament prophet is kind of like driving to the Rocky Mountains. So you can see the Rocky Mountains from incredibly far away as you start driving west And as you catch sight of them, it really just looks like one big long bank of mountains that are all equally distant away. And because you can see them from so far off, it makes the last leg of the journey take forever to actually reach the Rocky Mountains. It's not until you get much, much closer that you can begin to tell that there's depths between some of the peaks. There's some that are closer and there's some that are farther. But even then, it's really not until you get in the Rocky Mountains that you can start to see the depth between the peaks and the distance there is between each one of those massive mountains. Driving to the Rocky Mountains messes with your perspective of time and distance in kind of the same way that an Old Testament prophet would have been looking forward into the future at the landscape of salvation, and they would have seen some of the major peaks on that landscape, and yet they wouldn't have had a good perspective of the time and the distance between each of those things. They would have known the general facts, but they wouldn't have understood how much time was between something like the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. For the Old Testament prophets, it would have just looked like one picture, and they would have known there was a coming of Jesus, and there was a suffering and death. And that's why when we hear the words of the prophet Malachi from our text today, it's in it's kind of hard for us to understand because everything seems like it happens all at once. We hear his initial words, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenants whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And those two we can kind of understand because the New Testament clearly points out who those two are the first messenger who prepares the way, John the Baptist, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way. And then the second messenger, we know, the messenger of the covenant is Jesus, and Jesus comes right after John the Baptist. We get that part. But what's confusing for us is the very next thing that Malachi says brings us to the heavenly courtroom at the end of the world where Malachi says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? I will come to put you on trial. That's kind of confusing for us to understand because we live in the 2,000 years thus far of time and distance between that first and second coming of Christ. But from Malachi's perspective, He doesn't have that perspective. He knows the facts in general. He knows that there's a coming And the Bible lets us in on that very secret in 1 Peter 1, where it tells us about the perspective of the prophets. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you 
They searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. See, the prophet Malachi would have loved to know what you know about the first and second comings of Christ. And that's what we always keep in mind during this season of Advent. The first coming of the babe of Bethlehem and also the second coming of the king of glory and how different those two comings are. Last week, we meditated on that first coming when the Lord comes in humility. And we recognize that when Jesus comes and he's lying as a little baby boy in a manger in a cattle stall, we see that coming in humility. This week, we take a step forward in that progression to see that when the Lord comes near, he comes in humility, but he also humbles his people. And he humbles his people so that they will be ready for him when he comes again, not in humility, but as the king of glory. And for those who don't humble themselves, for those who don't repent, for those who don't meet him in his humility as savior, they will not find him so friendly when he comes again on the last day. On that day, the books will be opened. Malachi says, who can endure that day? Who can stand when he comes again to judge? So Malachi asks those scary and important questions, and we take them to hearts for ourselves. How will you meet Jesus? Will you meet him as Savior at his first coming? Or will you meet him as judge at his second coming? Now, all of this was a bit hazy in the prophet's perspective as he looked forward. But what was crystal clear for the prophet Malachi was what was right in front of him, and that was his people and their sin, their continued disobedience. They were at it again. See, God had brought them back from the world's biggest timeout ever, captivity in Babylon, and they were right back to it right back to the same old sins, right back to the things that their ancestors had been doing for generations, not listening to the decrees and the covenants of the God who had chosen them. They were right back at it. They were offering blemished sacrifices. They were withholding their tithes and offerings, robbing their God blind. And they were sending away their wives because they didn't like them anymore. And they were going after foreign and ungodly wives. They were back to the same old sins. And all of this within only a short time after God had graciously brought them back as a remnant and placed them in the land once again. And so Malachi comes to confront his people, to confront even the priests who were leading the way in all this because the people were sinning, but the priests weren't doing anything about it. Even more, they were telling them that all of this was okay. The priests were saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. People were back at it once again, and so Malachi came to confront the people to let them know about the sin and what it looked like in God's eyes. The Lord was tired of it. 
Literally, Malachi tells them, you have wearied the Lord with your words, with the same old, same old sin that you keep going back to. Though Malachi confronts his people with those words, how those words confront us squarely in the forehead as well. We know the weariness that we cause to our God, returning to the same sins again and again. The grief that we cause to his Holy Spirit when we as rebellious children go back to our sins again and again, return like a dog to his vomit, return like a pig wallowing in the mud. Again and again, we go back after making half-hearted promises and following that up with lackluster obedience. And moments later, we crash and burn. How can we ever stand before our God on that day when we are covered in the filth and the muck of our sin? How can we stand? Malachi asks, who can stand when he appears? Standing on our own two feet with our own laundry list of sins? The answer is we had better tremble on that day. Who can stand? Who can endure? The answer for every one of us on our own is no one. Because the truth is simple. Sinners cannot carry their sin with them into the presence of a holy and righteous God. He simply cannot tolerate their sin or them. Our God says he will be quick to testify against sinners. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless. God will not withhold his judgments against sinners. The New Testament sums it up for us in one simple sentence. Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's the wonder of his grace that our God does not simply send us away to the fire that we deserve. He makes us a promise to come near to us. And when he comes near, he makes us a promise to change us. Malachi says, he will be a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. See, our God will do the cleaning. He will do the refining. He has to. He must because we simply can't. Martin Luther understood the truth of that statement down deep in his heart when he groaned out these words, Lord, I'm tired of making promises to you. You must change me. I cannot change myself. That is how true repentance works. The laundry cannot do itself any more than 12-carat gold can turn itself into 24-carat gold. The launderer must do it. He must do the cleaning. The refiner must do it. He must do the refining. All of this is not a pretty process. There's grit and there's grime. But this is exactly what our God has promised to be and what he has promised to do for us. 
to be like a launderer's soap and a refiner's fire, and he longs to do it. If only we would let him. He longs, return to me, and I will return to you. He longs to come to us and scrub the filth and the grit and the grime off of us and wash it away. He longs to burn out the impurities from our lives and separate us from the sins that we cling to. He longs to come to us and to change us because we simply cannot change ourselves. When the preparation of that work has been done by the fire of God's law, then it's the true wonder of grace that he simply does not discard us or send us away with the wicked and the corrupt, but he seizes us and he picks us up out of the filth and the muck and he chooses us as his own. He rejoices over us as his treasured prize. This whole process is is really not a pleasant process, and it was much more so for him than for us as he's the one who had to reach down into the heat and the pain of hell and snatch us away from it. He's the one who had to endure that pain. He's the one who had to wash us with his own blood. That's the launderer's soap. Process was much more unpleasant for him than for us, but don't get lost in the grit and the grime and the washing and the scrubbing without seeing to the end the final product that God has for himself. See, you were wrongdoers, not fit for the kingdom of heaven, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He has made you to be his holy and righteous people, purified and washed in the waters of baptism. God has made you able to stand in his presence because he has refined you and washed you and made you able to stand. So we can revisit Malachi's terrifying questions once again. Who can endure? Who can stand? We can answer those questions with a fresh confidence. We can endure. We can stand because our God has prepared us. He has humbled our hearts. He has brought us to repentance. And he has washed and purified us and made us able to stand. For those who don't receive him as the savior that he was when he came the first time, they will not find him as savior when he comes again, but for you who found him as savior in humility when he came the first time, you will find that he does not change. On the last day, you will find him again as savior when he lifts you up. Till that day, Until the second coming of our Lord, we're not left twiddling our thumbs. See, the prophet Malachi also has words that apply to the people and to the priests even as they live. Malachi says, Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. God will purify his people. He will purify the priests and they will bring their sacrifices in righteousness once again. This whole pleasing priesthood thing, 
It's not just about God's Old Testament people or about the Levites. It's about you, too. Because God gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, God is making you into his priesthood. He, you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The praise of your lips, the offerings that you bring, the love that you show in your family and to your husbands and wives, these are the sacrifices of a broken heart that has been humbled and changed and brought to repentance. These are the sacrifices of God's holy priesthood that he delights in. When the Lord comes near, he humbles his people And not just for the sake of pushing them down, he humbles his people so that on the last day he may lift them up to stand before him in righteousness and purity forever. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for spending some time with us and worshiping with us online today. We are so glad you fed your faith through the work of Mount Olive, and we'd love to know that you fed your faith. So head on over to mountoliveappleton.com and click the online friendship register, or just click the link in the description here. It takes about one minute to fill out. Thanks so much for spending time with us. God's blessings on your day.